Welcome to Everything Dog Training with me, John McGuigan. Our goal is to bring you information on dog training methods which work and are kind, cutting through the myth and the folklore to help you have a better behaved, happier, emotionally healthier dog who is a joy to be around. Hi everyone and thanks for joining me on the first episode of Everything Dog Training with John McGuigan and guests. So no guest today on the first episode and that's for a whole bunch of technical reasons um, just to get the podcast kicked off. I'm going to stop, talk today about walking on the lead with your dog. Alright, so um, this seems to be uh, lots of confusion about this and what's effective and what's not. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions to start you and get you thinking about this. Have you ever walked with somebody who is significantly taller or shorter than you? And do you remember that feeling when you were a child walking with an adult, so a parent or an aunt or uncle uh, who was holding your hand and walking too fast and that feeling that you would get that you thought that you were being pulled off your feet or you were going to lose your footing? Alright, so um, we need to look at, there's a number of things that we, we look at when we're uh, walking with our dogs. Um, our dogs aren't meant to, they've not evolved to walk on a lead with us. It's something that they need to learn. Some dogs um, learn really quickly uh, and some dogs don't. Right, uh, And there's a number of other factors that are going on as well with your dog as to whether your dog can walk outside with you on a lead next to you. Alright, so we've got... Lots of traditional stuff going on from traditional dog training that your dog has to walk on your left. So if we look at how um, dog training sports or dog sports have evolved, um, so gun dog training and uh, obedience and some of the protection sports. So if you watch these on Crufts or uh, Westminster dog shows or if you've ever been to a dog show and you look at a competition, the dog has walked on the left. Now, as far as I know, and I do stand to be corrected on this, um, the reason why your dog has walked on the left is because it's come from um, either hunting or military training where the sidearm or the shotgun or rifle has been held on the right because most of us are right-handed. Uh, the other thing that I'm going to uh, mention, um, apparently my sense of humour takes time to get used to. All right, So I'm going to keep it under wraps until... <laughs> I get a little bit of a following with this, all right, because I don't want to insult anybody. So, um, so the thing that popped into my mind there was um, when I was growing up, we used to call um, left-handers mutants, uh, and it was meant affectionately and as a joke. So it's that type of thing. But I'm not going to tell that joke, all right, because I don't want any of you Southpaws getting offended by that. Uh, my daughter's a, a Southpaw, so. Um, yeah, so little things like that, alright, please take my, my, my sense of humour with a pinch of salt, okay. So none of us are uh, walking down the, the street strapped anymore, well very few of us are, so this necessity to have your dog walking on your left um, should have died with the, with the ark or with the dinosaurs, depending on your point of view, alright. So... Um, your dog doesn't need to walk on the left-hand side. Um, the rules that I have for my dog when I'm walking with them is that you can walk left or right on a slack lead um, and just don't cross over the back of me. So if you're walking on the right, don't go round the back of me to the left. And if you're walking on the left, don't go round the back of me to the right um, because that means I will either have to change uh, the lead over in my hand 
have to swing it over my head, I'll have to step over it, or I'll have to pirouette in order to uh, to get back to the lead being on my front. Okay, so that that's how I teach it. Um, and as long as you're walking with me uh, on a on a slack lead, then we'll we'll make progress. Other things which can get in the way of walking uh, your dog walking with you is that there's something else going on. Okay, so if your dog doesn't have the ability to uh, feel safe, if your dog isn't feeling safe outside or is feeling super excited about being outside, um, then that's going to get in the way with your dog being able to walk well with you on a slack lead. Okay, so these are all things to be um, just cognizant of um, so that we can take care of our dog and the both of you can have a good experience. All right. So the way that I teach this is, uh, or the, the, the viewpoint I will have on this with my dog is, is a contract. So I have a contract with my dog, uh, Logan, when I take him out. Um, his side of the contract is uh, don't drag me around, don't pull my arm out my socket and don't cross over the back of me that I've just mentioned and my part of the contract is I will walk uh, in a manner which you find comfortable, I will take you to interesting places for you to investigate and uh, most of the time and within reason and um, I will handle you, I will handle this lead in a manner which is not causing you discomfort. So I will not uh, pull and jerk him on a lead and I will handle the lead uh, and that's a leash for uh, my North American uh, friends who are listening to this. Uh, so I won't put the lead on the ground that he steps over it and I'm constantly having to unfangle it, fankle it. And fankle is a Scottish word which means to... If you've got yourself in a fankle, it's a bit of a mess. Okay. All right. So we're going to look first at the length of your stride. So the question that I asked at the top of the show, uh, have you ever walked with somebody that is significantly taller or shorter than you are? Okay. So one of the things that I'll do when I'm teaching um, seminars and I, I do a full day on human movement for dog training is I will get the tallest person in the audience and I will get the shortest person in the audience and I will ask the shortest person to take 10 natural strides forward. So we both they both start on the same starting line, 10 natural strides forward, and then they stop. And then I ask uh, the tallest person to, to do the same. Okay. And what will happen is that the tallest person, uh, or the taller of the two, will end up significantly ahead and it's usually at least two paces ahead so that means that um, the if we end up two paces ahead the um, shorter person their stride is 80% of the longer one okay so what ha- of the taller one so what happens is the tall person then in order for the two of them to walk together either has to slow their pace or has to shorten their pace so it has to be one of the two of them for the Um, short person and the smaller person to walk comfortably with that tall person okay so hopefully you're with me so far on that all right so I remember being uh, uh, when I was a student and my friend so I'm a 5'10 which is 178 centimeters so I'm 5'10 178 centimeters and uh, my friend was 5'2 which is around 160 something 165 maybe something like that Okay, so seven inches shorter than I am. 
and I would stride through the city from the bus up to um, the university and she would do uh, this kind of walk trot, walk trot, walk trot next to me. Okay, So she was never able to get comfortable into a stride with me and it's really obnoxious behaviour and it's one of these obnoxious things that uh, young men do. Um, so <laughs> apologies Barbara. Um, and that is very similar to what goes on with your dog. So if you're a very tall person and your dog has short legs, think of what distance your dog has to, sorry, how many paces your dog has to take in order to keep up with you. Okay, so if you've got something, a really short dog like a Dachshund with really short legs, uh, or the miniature breeds like a Chihuahua or a Yorkie, and then even up to the Terriers, if you're over 5 foot 5, 5 foot 6, there's going to be a, a big um, difference there, okay? And that's something that we need to, to change, okay? So how we uh, address that is we can slow down, okay? So by slowing down, it allows the dog to start walking. Um, walking, okay, I'm going to cover the, the different strides that a dog does. And it allows us to the dog to start walking, and when the dog walks, they can start to sniff. When a dog starts to walk and sniff, they then start to calm down, okay, and they can then start to think, which means that we can then start teaching them to walk on a on a loose lead, okay. So very often when I'm working with people, um, when I, uh, the first 15 minutes of our first lesson is generally spent relaxing our bodies, holding the lead the lead in a manner which is keeps our bodies relaxed, and um, and walking really slowly to allow everybody to settle into that environment to make it a good learning. Um, experience for both of them. Okay, so next thing we'll talk about um, is now I could talk about all these things at length. Okay, and I could bore you all to tears with this because I could go into I could talk about each one of these um, topics for probably an hour or more, but I'm not going to. Okay, because I'm going to try and keep this relatively short, and it's just to give you an awareness of what is going on um, with your dog at the other end of the lead and how it's us attaching the dog to the lead which is I don't want to say the problem but that's what causes the problems the dog can walk fine on their own they just can't walk with us okay so the other thing is the the length of your lead all right um, so again I think the minimum we should be walking minimum length of lead we should be walking our dog on is uh, 1.8 meters so that's six feet long all right uh, and uh, this is the end of July, and <laughs> COVID, and this is not a joke, I'm not laughing about the, the coronavirus, but people don't know what six feet looks like, okay, and you'll only have to walk through the shops, um, or the supermarket, or a shopping centre, or down the street to realise that people have got no clue what six feet looks like, okay. Alright, so a six foot lead, alright, uh, and then if you're walking your dog on a footpath, Okay, and we've done lots of work on a six foot lead, then a four foot lead is sometimes better because a lots lots of the footpaths are only six feet wide. Okay, so we do need to think about shortening that up. Um I walk Logan on an eight foot lead, alright. Um and uh I've got a friend who does um canine fitness and development for dogs and Sam's um of the opinion that the minimum uh, length of lead that we should be walking a puppy on is three meters, okay, which is nine feet, uh, nine feet nine inches, okay, um, and that's to allow the dog to develop their body properly, okay. So the length of lead is important, all right. So the dog can only pull if the lead is tight. If you are 
1.8 metres or 6 feet tall and you're walking that dog on a 3 foot lead and the dog is 8 inches off the ground, your dog has got no option other to pull. As soon as they move faster than the, the, you're walking or as soon as they move towards something that they want to sniff, the dog has to pull because there's no um, there's nowhere for them to go. Okay, So longer leads um, and a slower pace will... In a huge proportion of the, of the situation, that's Logan flapping his ears there. So apologies, uh, he just got up and had a stretch. So longer lead and a, a slower pace. Well, that that alone will change the amount of pulling that your dog does. Okay, all right. So that's something else to think about. All right. Next question we're going to ask is, uh, what is the walk for? So a lot of people think that the walk is for. Um, taking your dog out for exercise it can be okay but it doesn't need to be so if we look at how dogs will um, exercise uh, if they're playing together they will very rarely walk just at the same pace for any period of time what they will do is they will play they will run around they will stop and sniff they'll wrestle okay so uh, the way that I look about at, at this is that um, the walk us being outside with our dog on the lead is generally about going out and um, spending time together. So it's for some enrichment for your dog, the same as if we go for a hike and you'll walk up and you'll look at the vista. Okay, taking your dog out and allowing them to sniff and explore, okay, is that, I think that is the purpose of the walk. Okay, and if we start getting into um, having that mindset that when we take the dog out, it is for enrichment and to break up their day and to spend time with them. All right. So again, looking at what we've had over the last um, few months because of the global pandemic, uh, when we were then able to get out for a walk, very often people were going just going out for a walk and meeting their friends and going for a walk together. So that wasn't about anything other than moving through the environment. Okay, so to keep things interesting and spending time together with somebody that you like. Okay, and if we think about that as a model for your dog. That's a good place to start. Um, when we're working with puppies, remember that your puppy doesn't know how to. They've been on the planet for weeks, okay, only weeks, okay, and everything is brand new to them. Okay, so give them time, all right. So, what's the walk for? Okay, now your dog does need to learn how to go from A to B when we need them to. Okay, but I don't think it's not. It's my view that that shouldn't be the majority of the time. That should be. You know, 10% of the time that you're walking your dog in the lead should be, I'm going from here to there, okay? Most of the time, I think, that we should be out with the dog um, is uh, to allow the dog to explore and to sniff, all right? So, who's that walk for? Is the walk for you or is the walk for your dog? So, the park that I work at in Glasgow uh, in the mornings, um, what I'll very often see is people they come out so they're we want to take our dog out to exercise ourselves okay it's one of the reasons many people get a dog is so that we get out and we and we get more exercise um so people come out they let their dog off the lead and they go for a big walk around the park but it will be rare extremely rare for for their dog to walk with them when they're off lead the whole time they will run ahead stop and sniff we leapfrog over them uh, in distance, they catch up with us, they say hi to some of their friends, we stop and chat, they mill around, and then they catch up with us again. Okay, so it, just being aware, having an awareness of these things, 
uh, helps with a lot of this. Alright, okay, so we're going to look on to uh, leads uh, and training equipment. Okay, so one of the things that you'll hear is that harnesses cause pulling. Okay, and I'm going to, we will over the course of this uh, podcast is in future episodes, we'll talk about how behaviour is built, how it's constructed and what affects it. Okay, so what I'm going to say just now is harnesses do not cause pulling. Okay, and that is a statement of fact. Harnesses do not cause pulling. Harnesses allow pulling. Okay, so if we look at um, sled dogs, sled dogs are in harnesses to allow them to pull the sled. They don't cause them to pull the sled. Other factors cause them to pull the sled. So harnesses don't cause pulling any more than me jumping into Ferrari causes me to drive fast. The Ferrari allows me to drive fast. It doesn't cause me to drive fast. Other factors cause me to drive fast. Okay, so harnesses do not cause pulling. If you're putting a piece of um, equipment on your dog and it is stopping pulling, it's because it's affecting the dog's gait or the dog's comfort level and the dog wanting to relieve that stress or pressure or discomfort or pain is what uh, stops the dog from pulling and um, as a result gets the dog to walk next to you. Okay. Alright, so those are things to be super aware of. Alright, um, I prefer a harness with for uh, my dog, um, one that's shaped with a, a Y or an H, so it's like a, a Y-shaped yoke at the front, which doesn't restrict his shoulders. If there's moving parts to your harness, such as bungee cords or draw cords, or if the harness uh, clips the leash to the, the leads to the front, those are there in order to put pressure on the dog's body, which the dog wants to relieve in order to walk. Um, sorry, when the dog relieves that pressure by walking uh, next to you and stopping pulling, that's what causes the dog to walk next to you. So it's the relief relief from that pressure. Okay, Or if the front clip harness, the dog is pulled off balance uh, because as they pull forward, um, their forward momentum is pulled to the side by the fact that the, the leash is clipped um, to the front. Okay, so these are just there's pros and cons for lots of these things. Okay, and it depends on your own personal ethics and what you're willing to do with your dog, and what you're willing to put your dog through in order to teach them um, to walk on a slack lead. Uh, whether you want to use that equipment or not. Okay, all right. So uh, we've got a flat collar. Okay, so a buckle collar or a clip collar. That can put pressure on the dog's trachea, okay, so the dog's um, windpipe and throat, um, and over time, they can cause micro damages to the um, the dog's anatomy, which can then lead to health problems later. Okay, so these are all things to consider. All right, um, whereas a harness, the pressure of that is taken onto the dog's um, shoulder, sorry, chest, okay, um, and back. So it's the big muscular areas that are that are taking that pressure, okay. And gen and and overall, we don't want to be putting any pressure on the dog's body. We want to be teaching the dog to walk with us, okay. So we then got a half check or a martingale, okay. So that's a halfway between a choke or a check chain, 
and a flat collar. So it has a small piece of material or chain which tightens up uh, when the dog pulls forward. Okay. Now some of the, the breeds like the Bulldogs uh, and Pugs where uh, their head is either the same size as their neck or um, their head is smaller than the uh, circumference of their neck. I use in a half check for these dogs if you're going to use one and opt to use one of them and not uh, a harness. Um, they're there so that when the dog does pull it just uh, tightens up to the, the width of the dog's neck. Okay, So anything that, that if you're jerking on that and it's causing a noise or you're jerking on the chain or popping the, so the jerking on the leash or popping the leash and um, that um, jerk or popping lead is what the dog is wanting to avoid and because it's painful then I recommend not doing that okay uh, and then metal collars like prong collars and choke chains or check chains uh, work in exactly the, the, uh, the same principle that they cause pain or discomfort in order to um, stop the dog from pulling okay and I'll get into a whole bunch of stuff of um, the ethics of these things in other episodes, okay, and why um, I don't think that we should use them, nor do we need to, okay. All right, um, now we've got flexi leads, okay. Um, so I don't know many dog trainers, uh, and I don't know any good dog trainers that uh, will recommend the use of a flexi lead uh, routinely, okay. So flexi leads, um, if you if you are um, Flexi lead or ex, uh, expanding leads. Okay, it's a, a, a spring-loaded uh, coil of thin leash, which is then held up in a handle and attached to the dog's collar or harness. Now, when I'm working with dogs that are showing aggression and uh, aggressive and reactive behaviours to other dogs, I don't go anywhere near any dog on a flexi lead because I can't guarantee how far that that dog is going to be from their owner because within seconds the dog can be um can be right next to the owner and then seconds later the dog can be 15 feet in front of them okay um the other thing with flexi leads is a lot of people will put their dog in a flexi lead because they don't train or haven't uh, haven't trained or don't trust their dog to come back to them when off lead okay so they put the dog on a flexi lead in order to give their dog some freedom okay uh, but it doesn't teach your dog to be properly on the lead, and it doesn't to, sorry to properly on the lead and walk with you, and it doesn't teach your dog to be off lead because it's constantly spring loaded. Okay, so I've got lots of strong opinions about flexi leads. Um, I think that only people that um, might uh, want to use them or uh, be okay with using them is somebody that has, is um, particularly elderly or has some disabilities and they don't have that um, freedom um, that many of the rest of us have okay and again with all of these things it's weighing up the pros and cons and we've also the, get the ethics of these things okay um, so that's my, my view on flexi leads okay so we'll move on to how fast do you walk? Okay, which we talked about before. So if we're really striding out, okay, with our dog, um, our little dog has to at least trot to keep up, okay. And then with a dog that is pretty much bigger than a Springer Spaniel, if that dog is trotting 
we are probably hard pushed to keep up with the dog because the dog's trot is so fast. So that brings us on to the paces, uh, the different strides rather that a, a dog has. Okay, so there are five uh, types of stride that a dog will have: uh, the walk, pace, amble, trot, canter, and gallop. Okay, so we'll go through them again: walk, pace, amble, trot, canter, and gallop. All right, so they are defined generally. Um, the walk, trot, canter and gallop are defined by the number of um, feet that are on the ground at one time. Okay, so when a dog is walking, there will be uh, they will have four feet on the ground at one time or only one foot off the ground. So basically as one foot falls and hits the ground, then the next one comes up after that happens. Okay, a trot is where there's two feet off the ground at one time. Uh, a canter is where there are three feet off the ground at one time and uh, a gallop is where there are times where there are four feet off the ground at one time. So if we go back the way, um, a gallop, the dog only ever has one foot on the ground, a canter only ever has two feet on the ground, um, the trot, the dog only ever has, sorry, yeah, trot only ever has three feet on the ground and um the walk there are times where there are four feet on the ground so we can, if you google this um, there's a reference there pethelpful.com um, has some information on that if you want to look at it and there's tons of stuff on youtube okay we've also got a pace and an amble okay so dogs which pace is basically the two left feet and the two right feet go forward at the same time okay um, and it's not a natural pace for many dogs and you'll see their spine slinking that way okay and then the amble is the pace between the walk and the trot so basically as the dog is moving from a walk to a trot and there's a a, um, a, a stride which is in there as well okay so having some knowledge of that means that um I can now adjust my pace to that. So Logan is about the size of a Labrador. He's an American Bulldog, about the size of a, a Labrador. So if he is trotting, I really need to stride out. So basically I have to march down the road and he gets into a trot next to me. Okay. Um, if I want him to amble, I have to slow down and let him amble. And then if I want him to stop and uh, slow down and stop and walk and sniff, I have to walk really slowly to allow him that time to, to to walk, okay? And that goes back to the point I was telling you about earlier on with somebody who is walking fast and you're um, shorter than they are, okay? So um, how fast you walk is important and having an awareness of this. Um, now, if you've got a dog that pulls atrociously in the lead, you can now go, is that a factor? Am I walking too fast or am I walking too slow? Alright, so sniff walks are awesome for your dog, um, where are to walk as well. Start looking at the environment through a dog's nose, if that makes sense, mix my metaphors there. Okay, but um, perceive, try and perceive the environment through the dog's nose. So if it is the park that I'm, I work at um, in the mornings, there are several pieces of outdoor uh, gym equipment, so... Um, exercise bikes and, and balance uh, beams and stuff like that and every dog pees on them okay because they're a po they're posts okay so and um, by having a, a knowledge of that it means I can take my dog to those places 
I'm also aware of the direction that the wind is blowing and looking for longer grass which will trap the scent and I will take the dogs that I'm working with or I'll take my own dog to these places. Okay, so dogs like checking um, the information that's in the environment, so lots of people will call it the checking the P-mail. Okay, so if other another dog has urinated against a, a lamppost or a bin, okay, trash can, allow them to stop and sniff that. Okay, so being aware of that as well. And a lot of these things are just having an awareness of this stuff. Okay, alright. So lastly, just what I'd like you to do um, is spend some time watching your dog and other dogs moving through that the environment. So watch them when they're moving on their own and watch them when they're moving together. Okay, um, YouTube is a great place to look at this stuff because you can look at videos and pause and rewind and look at this and see how did the dog move from that pace to the next. When did they move from that pace to the next? Did they slow down? Okay, um, and uh, yeah, ha has that given them an opportunity to um, adjust their pace? And what was it adjusted to? That didn't make very good sense, but I hope you know what I mean by that. Okay, um, I use food um, often when I'm training the dog uh, to walk next to us, um, but I use it to assist us in getting there. Okay, because what I want to do uh, with the, with my own dog and the dogs that I work with is say to them, we will go on a walk together. Okay, so if I was walking with you through a Christmas market, I don't have to constantly plough you with chocolates, maybe I do with some of you, okay, um, but I certainly shouldn't, there should be enough of a, a um, relationship or a connection there that we want to share that experience together of moving through that Christmas market, I will come and see things that you like, you will come and see things that I like, um, I'll give you the time to, uh, to, to look at those things, so if you want to look at candles or um, fruit punch or, you know, sausages or cheese or something like that, I'll give you time to look at that, but then you also recognise that if I'm not joining you in that, then you don't want to sp you don't spend all day doing that. Okay, so this can happen. It can happen really easily and really quickly um, with our dogs if we teach them how to do it properly. Okay, and as I said at the, t the top of the um, podcast, some dogs learn it really quickly, and some dogs take a little bit of a, a time to do it. Okay, um, if you think about how many, how long does it take a human to walk properly? Okay, so it's probably about five or six years. Um, it takes a human, um, well, from by the age of five or six, they're probably stopping falling over. Okay, um, probably by six years old, um, they're now no longer falling over. But before then, from the age of one, when they start walking up until that, they will fall and. And that's their body learning how to walk. So if it takes us four or five years to learn how to do that, then I think we can give our dogs a break um, that they don't learn how to walk with us on a loose lead when they're quadrupeds and shorter than we are and have different interests in the environment within five minutes. Okay, so let me know what you think about this. Um, reviews are always awesome. If you have enjoyed it, please tell others. Uh, you'll find me on YouTube, uh, Glasgow Dog Trainer on YouTube. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as Glasgow Dog Trainer and Behaviour Consultant. So thanks very much for your time uh, today for listening to this and I will catch you next time. Thank you. <laughs>